This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. What is going on, everybody? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 237. Getting up there. Talking Buffalo podcast. Thank you to everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen and download, support the show. Really means a lot to me. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Matter of fact, if you are a subscriber, you still have a couple more days to have a chance to win a free large pizza and 20 wings from our friends over at Macy's Place Pizzeria. All you got to do is go on Twitter, hit up my timeline, at Pamoran Tweets. I got a tweet pinned right at the top, and I'll also put this information in the show notes. Very simple instructions right there on how you can win a free pizza and wings, again, from our friends over at Macy's Place Pizzeria. I'll be announcing the winner of that giveaway on Friday's show. Folks, I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, I got a guy who's widely considered not just the best TV investigative reporter in Buffalo today, but quite frankly, one of the best to come around in a very, very long time. I am, of course, talking about Charlie Speck from Channel 7 News. Charlie's Buffalo-born, Western New York raised, went to Iroquois High School, St. Bonaventure for college. Pretty much has built his entire life and his career in the Western New York community. And I'll tell you what, Charlie has been absolutely killing it at Channel 7 since joining the news station in 2016. Uh, along the way, he's picked up some very, very prestigious awards, lots of accolades with his investigative reporting, which we discuss a couple of those stories, uh, including reporting that seen him featured on ABC Nightline on 60 Minutes, much more. And besides Jess's career, we got a lot of good nuggets that I uncovered during his chat with Charlie, including some stuff that I frankly had no idea about. One of them is Charlie actually wanted to be a sports reporter coming out of college, and he originally applied to the Buffalo News for a sports writing internship, and ironically enough, lost out on that to Tyler Dunn. Of course, Tyler Dunn is a very well-known Western New York native, sports reporter, worked for the Buffalo News. Now he is with the Bleacher Report. Thought that was a pretty cool story. He also talks about how a column at the Buffalo News ultimately led him to applying for and getting his job at Channel 7, which again, he's turned into an awesome career so far. So it's just an interview that's littered 
with really good stories. Some professional, some personal. We learn a lot more about Charlie. Like I said, his childhood, how he feels about Buffalo, some of his favorite spots. And I'll tell you what, I said it when I did his intro, and I'm going to say it again right here, right now. If you're out there and you're a business or person or an organization that's up to some real shady shit out there, Charlie Speck is like quite literally the last person on the face of this planet that you want catching wind of what you're up to. Charlie's just a great dude, man. Fascinating career. It just continues to rise. Very, very impressive. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to waste any more time here right at the top. Let's just rock this interview out right now. Here it is, my chat with WKBW-TV Chief Investigative Reporter, Charlie Speck. All right, my guest today, uh, let me put it to you this way, folks. If you're up to any scandalous shit out there, this is probably the last person on earth that you want finding out about it. Investigative reporter, chief investigative reporter at WKBW-TV, one of the very best in all the business, Charlie Speck. What's going on, Charlie? How you doing? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for that intro. Wow. I appreciate you having me. I'm a longtime listener uh, here on your podcast, and I uh, appreciate uh, you having me on. Well, I'm definitely excited to have you on. This is pretty cool because... I've had so many athletes on this podcast, a lot of sports media people, a couple local news reporters, but you're the first investigative reporter I've ever had on this podcast. And like we were talking on here or off here, I should say, before started rolling record here, I'm a Channel 7 guy and I've always been unapologetic about it. So, you know, it's always nice to have uh, all you guys on. I just had Madison on a couple of weeks ago and I mean, what what is there to say about her? She's awesome. And uh you are too, man. I'm a big fan of your work. One of the few non-sports media people that I follow very closely in Western New York. I think I appreciate that. And Madison, speaking about investigative reporting, has been absolutely uh, killing it lately. Yeah. Um, she has been doing tremendous work, you know, when it comes to police issues and uh, racial issues in the community. I, I, I can't remember the last time someone in our town covered those issues like she's been covering it here. So um, I think, uh, you know, she's been doing great work. And, you know, again, I appreciate you uh, having uh, having both of us on here. Yeah, for sure. And I kind of want to keep the format the same. And that's giving fans an opportunity to know more about you beyond just the work that you do. And we're certainly going to discuss some of that. But it's kind of like your journey and for fans to listen to. So let's actually go pretty much back to the beginning here. Now you're born and raised in Western New York, correct? Yes, I am. I am originally from South Buffalo. Um, so I was born in South Buffalo. Um, we lived in the city until I was about uh, 10. And then my parents built a house out in the country out in uh, Marilla. So I went to school, uh, high school at Iroquois high school. Um, and then a funny story here, my uh, wife and I ended up buying my old childhood house in the city a couple of years ago. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I'm a Buffalo uh, born and bred, and, um, you know, we love the city. My wife is, is from the area, too, and, um, you know, we are uh, big Buffalo boosters. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, when you were a kid, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, I'm going to assume 
than when you were a very young kid that becoming an investigative reporter probably wasn't one of your dreams when you were at least that young. Anyway, what were some of the things as a young kid that you were into? You know, I was, I was, uh, I did watch a lot of Superman. So maybe the fact that Clark Kent is a reporter um, had something to do with it. I, I don't know, but no, you're right. I didn't, uh, I didn't have any idea that I would be in this. My uh, dream actually kind of was actually in sports. I, um, I had planned on being a sports reporter um, my whole life. I went to college for that. I covered basketball in college and um, played sports, you know, growing up and um, thought I would go in that direction. I only ended up getting into uh, news, you know, just because that kind of was the job that was open here. So I had really no idea that I was going to end up uh, doing what I do uh, now. But, you know, I love it. What sports did you play as a kid? So I played, I started with basketball. Um, basketball was my first love. I uh, kind of became obsessed with uh, Larry Bird at a young age. Um, and then I played uh, football in high school. Uh, we had an awesome football team. We went to the state finals. Um, almost won the title, but we had a, we had a bad call um, and ended up losing. I played basketball, uh, football, did one season of lacrosse. But that was torture because I was a goalie um, and you're just getting stuff pelted at you. <laughs> um, but uh, my, you know, I, I played, um, they didn't have, I went to St. Bonaventure. They didn't have football. So I ended up um, playing rugby there. Um, and that probably, if I had to say my favorite sport is probably to this day is, is rugby, which is, you know, as you know, kind of a combination of football and soccer and, you know, sure. wrestling almost. It's just, a lot of fun. So I, I've played sports, you know, all, all growing up and, uh, you know, probably, probably helped make me into who I am today. Now you talked about going to Iroquois for high school. You went to St. Bonaventure for college. Why did you choose to go to Bona? And were there other schools out there that you considered going to, or that you wanted to consider going to, or was it for you like St. Bonaventure pretty much all the way? Uh, no, actually I, um, I applied to nine different schools and I, I got into all of them, but I really want to go to Notre Dame. Um, and I didn't have any delusions that I was going to play football or something, you know, be, be like a Rudy. I wasn't that, I wasn't that good. You know, I was captain of our team in high school, but I wasn't, uh, you know, I would say that, um, you know, my experience, uh, you know, I was a decent athlete, scored a few touchdowns, but mostly it was the intangible stuff that, I enjoyed about sports, you know, the leadership, the camaraderie, the being part of something. So I wanted to go to Notre Dame, uh, unfortunately did not get accepted there. So at that point I said, you know, what do I really want to do? I'm, I wasn't great at math or science, didn't, didn't love those subjects. I was always more of a reader and a writer. And I started looking at um, journalism schools. I looked at Ithaca and I looked at St. Bonaventure and, you know, didn't really know until it came time to commit that I might look into journalism. So I thought, yeah, I'll give it a try, see if I like it. And it just really was the perfect fit and started working for the school newspaper right away. And, you know, the rest is, uh, the rest is history. So I kind of, kind of just fell, fell into that, but it ended up being the perfect spot for me. A uh, kid born in South Buffalo wanting to go to Notre Dame. I never would have guessed in a million years. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you're at St. Bonaventure. You said you started writing. What were those experiences like for you 
in college, obviously that would help you, you know, groom yourself and hone your craft a little bit for what eventually would become your career. And like you said, at the time you wanted to be a sports reporter. So tell us about going from college to the Buffalo news, because you were a Buffalo news staff reporter. You got that job in October, 2010. Like how did that opportunity come about for you to go from college and eventually ultimately working at the Buffalo news? So, yeah, I, um, I started working for the school newspaper at St. Bonaventure and I covered um, every sport in the books, um, you know, starting at the lower sports and eventually became time you got to cover the basketball team kind of when you were a junior or senior. Mm-hmm. Um, I met my, who ended up being my wife. She was our news editor um, at the paper and I never really thought I'd go into TV. I took actually a TV class. Um, just, I was done at the paper. I had become the editor and you could only be that for one semester. So I thought we were sitting around one day, um, and someone said to me, you know, uh, Hey, you should join the TV station. I thought, well, I don't know anything about that. I'm, I'm not a movie star or anything. Uh, and you know, I did it just to get the experience and ended up coming in handy here, my current job, but I was primarily working to be a sports reporter. I applied for an internship at Buffalo News um, as a sports writer, actually. Unfortunately, there was there were three of us that had really got down that we're going to get it, but there were only two spots. And there was this other kid who was a much better sports writer than me. Uh, his name is Ty Dunn. Oh, yeah, Ty. Um, <laughs> My guy, I know him very well, yeah. I know, so he's, yeah, he's a, he's a, phenomenal writer you know i mean unbelievable leaps and bounds you know over me and and all the other sports reporters out there so um so yeah i didn't get that but i ended up getting an internship there in a different department in the features department um i ended up you know i thought actually i was going to go work in washington i spent the last semester of my college um working actually in washington as an intern for um meet the press. Um, Hmm. and I thought I I had a job lined up in Washington and then my last senior week at St. Bonaventure, I went back for one week and I got a call, you know, from Margaret Sullivan, who was our editor at the time at the news. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she said that they had a spot open, uh, and they wanted to hire me. So I, uh, it's like kind of my whole like world kind of changed on a dime there. And I took a job, but, um, they said, look, the only job you have is being a copy editor and a part-time reporter on the city desk. And uh, it's kind of take it or leave it. So I took it and it ended up being the best thing because um, I was able to really learn so much about the city, you know, run into every town and village and city across Western New York, being a kid out of college, not really knowing much about, you know, how the real world works, how local governments work, but you know, sitting through these meetings. And fortunately, I, I had so many uh, guys at the paper sort of take me under their wing and show me uh, the ropes. And a lot of what I do today, the reporting, it's, it's things I learned, you know, from from veterans, um, you know, Dan Herbeck, Bob McCarthy, the, these guys at, at the Buffalo News and, and end up being really great experience. And then, um, you know, I can still enjoy sports on the weekends and, and at night and someday I'll, you know, I'll be able to take my son to uh, and my daughters to a ball game. And um, I think it ended up working out 
really well. And I'm also happy that we ended up staying in Buffalo uh, because Washington, the other big cities, it's it's quite expensive to live there. Sure. You know, it's funny. A lot of people that I've talked to, news reporters, some of the most successful ones originally wanted to be sports reporters. I had a conversation with Madison and it was kind of the the same track. She thought she might be covering football as, as an adult for a living when she was younger. I remember having a conversation with another colleague of yours, uh, Rebecca Thornburg, and kind of the same deal. Now, you're at the Buffalo News for three and a half years. What are a couple of like your more memorable moments there and, and accomplishments while you're at the news? Yeah, so I um, really, it was, you know, kind of a, a grab bag of, I was covering multiple towns, uh, you know, in Western New York, covering going to suburban meetings and covering, um, I remember a great, you know, experience I had was we had an office at the, inside the police station, actually, we called it the cop shop. And, um, and I would have to do the weekend, you know, sort of overnight, uh, late night shift there. And, you know, you're, you're calling up, you know, all these lieutenants and stuff and trying to get information out of them. And they, you know, they don't really want to talk to you. They've got better things to do and crimes to solve. And, and it taught me, you know, kind of the art of getting people to talk, you know, who may not want originally to, to talk with you. I, um, I also spent a couple of years up in Niagara Falls covering city hall. And when I got up there, I was kind of like, you know, I don't know anything about Niagara County or Niagara Falls and what am I doing up here? It ended up being the best experience because uh, there was always something, you know, scandalous or kind of crazy or, you know, something that smelled corrupt. Some There's uh, all these scammers going on up there trying to take advantage of the place. And um, it ended up being a great sort of training ground for me as a reporter to learn that um, you, you really cannot trust anybody as a, as a reporter, you have to, you have to check everything that, that people tell you. Um, and I learned that lesson up there. I, one of the cool things when I was up there is we covered the, uh, Nick Walenda walk across the falls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a blast. Um, I ended up getting in right with his family to watch it, um, Everyone, including the security guards, were were watching him on the wire. So I just walked right past him, um, and uh, I ended up, you know, being with his family and shook his hand when he got off the wire, and that was a blast. So um, the first couple of years were really um, a lot of fun, and I learned a lot really about about Western New York because you know every night you're going to a different town or city that you don't know much about, and you got to get the story. So. Um, there was a lot of pressure to go out there and get the story and come back um, and kind of prove myself as the younger reporter. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure to kind of prove myself as a younger reporter, having all these guys who worked there and who were, you know, kind of my dad's age. And um, I think that's what kind of drove me to, you know, really start to, you know, peel back the layers of, of what's going on. Um, in government and politics. And, and I think that's kind of led me to the path I am today. Yeah. And you've become the best at doing that. And I'm going to talk about channel seven in just a minute here, but so you're at the news for three and a half years. By the time it goes down, you're long gone, but you've talked about this. You're, you're a sports guy and I'm sure you developed relationships with a lot of these people in the sports department at the Buffalo news while you were there 
after you were gone. And in this early summer or late spring of 2018, everything went nuts at the Buffalo News. For better or for worse, I'm not here to have that debate. But the point being is that the, the boat got rocked. You know, in a matter of a short amount of time, John Vogel and Bucky Gleason and Sully and Tim Graham and Bob, all these guys and many others too, but those yeah. are the, the main ones. They're all gone from the sports department. You as, again, not just former colleagues of yours, but also just as a sports fan, what was your what was your reaction at the time as everything's going out? I mean, people are going to the athletic, people are going to other, or they're starting their own thing or getting out of the business altogether. It was just a crazy time in 2018 for the Buffalo News. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I um, Sully was a huge uh, influence on me, and I, I interned for a, a season with the Bills, and um, it was really a conversation I had with Sully in, in the press box that kind of convinced me, yeah, I really need to apply to the news and, and try to get that internship. And um, he was – I know he has this um, – you know, image of being this crusty old sort of curmudgeon. Um, but he was, he could not have been nicer to me sure. as, as a reporter, um, always, you know, helping me out with things. And, and, and he's kind of a rebel and kind of a, um, someone who, you know, bucks authority. And I think most good reporters have that quality in them. Um, so, you know, I think that the decision to, to, you know, blow up that sports department was probably one of the most misguided decisions I had seen. I mean, you know, I loved working for Margaret Sullivan and I had, and I loved working for guys like Bruce Andriach and, and other guys there. But, um, you know, there was a new leadership that took over from out of town and I could kind of see the writing on the wall that things uh, were changing. And, you know, I think that Buffalo is is and probably always will be a huge sports town, and people really identify with with the sports teams and guys like Bucky and Sully and Tim Graham, um, you know those kind of franchises, if you will, of, of sports journalism in our town. You can't um, you can't make that up. You can't just replace that, um, and I think that's that's why people continue to subscribe to the news or, you know, watch the TV stations. It's people like that who, who they trust. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about whether they're too tough on the sports teams. My opinion is, um, you know, as a sports writer, of course, you become friendly with athletes, but you're not there to be their friend. You're, you're there to, to in a certain level, hold them accountable in the same way that I'm holding a a city councilman accountable in the sense that you're not writing for the athletes. I'm not writing for the politicians. I'm writing for, you know, my viewers and my readers. And, and as a sports writer, you, you really are doing the same thing. It, it's a different medium and there's different stakes and stuff. But um, especially since sports have become such a multi, you know, billion dollar business in the NFL's case, I think you need people like that that are willing to, to try to hold those teams to a higher standard. Yeah, for sure. So you go from the Buffalo News, and then in the summer of 2016, you get a job at Channel 7. How exactly did the opportunity come about for you to join Channel 7? What was that process? Yeah, so it was um, sort of, it was unexpected. I actually was reading, 
So when I left the news, I took a job working in local government for a couple of years and it was kind of a back office job. And, um, you know, I, I could tell almost from the beginning that it probably wasn't going to work. Um, so I wanted to get back into journalism. I always, you know, I, I never really planned that TV would be the way. Um, but I actually read a column from Alan Bergman in the, in the Buffalo news that said, Hey, channel seven's hiring this. They're going to hire an investigative reporter. They got this new owner scripts and things are looking up. And I thought, well, I know I can do the digging. I know I can do the reporting and get the information. I don't know how to put makeup on or anything like that. You know, I own like one suit and you know three ties. And, um, I said, you're gonna have to teach me that stuff. Um, and they said, that's fine. You can learn that other stuff, but we want someone who's going to go out there and really, you know, dig stuff up. So I, I put my head in and in, you know, I, I did interviews and it ended up being kind of a perfect, uh, fit because like you said, channel seven was always a legacy station and it always been known for investigative reporting. When I was at St. Bonaventure, uh, the Dean of our journalism school was Lee Coppola, who, you know, was really kind of a, um, an awesome investigative reporter mm -hmm. again one from the news channel seven and um i thought you know if, if they want to do something like this and kind of start building this back this could be my chance and so i took it and you know we just really kind of started small and started you know hitting singles and doubles and then you know all of a sudden we're you know going toe-to-toe -to -toe with some pretty powerful um people but it really kind of um it's funny how those things you know, just happened. I had, I didn't have some grand plan. I've never been the kind of person, um, you, you ever have people that sit down with you and say, well, where do you see yourself five years from now or 10 years from now? I, I've never been one of these people with some sort of master plan for my life. I, you know, I try to do the best I can and, you know, think that opportunities will pre present themselves if, if you do that and kind of keep your nose to the grindstone. Um, so it really just kind of popped up and, you know, I grabbed it and said, I'm going to, I'm going to make the best of this. How big of an adjustment was he, was it for you going from being a writer and being a reporter to being in front of a camera? Because I'm not saying it's easier. I'm not saying it's harder, but it's certainly different. So it was a definitely an adjustment. I think I probably had, I probably was more comfortable with it than most newspaper reporters would have been just because I do have, you know, an, kind of an outgoing personality. Um, but the thing that you always learn in, in, you know, newspaper reporting is, you know, never put yourself in the story. Um, you know, you're not the story. It's not about you. It's about people you're covering and, you know, you should always be objective and, you know, be this kind of unbiased, um, observer and on TV, you do have to do those things. You should still remain objective and unbiased, but you very much have to put yourself in the story sometimes because you are in front of the people and flesh and blood presenting the story. So uh, it matters, you know, how you, how you present something. It matters how you say each word that gives, you know, that gives a, a certain element to that story. So it took me some time to really adjust to that. I had our assistant news director, Aaron Mason, really worked hard with me on that. And we would every day, he would critique me. I'd get off the air and he'd say, let's watch your thing. And, you know, I naturally am more of a reserved personality. Um, so he said, you know, you need to sound excited. You need to put emphasis on this. You need yeah. to, 
you need to project. Um, and so it took some time to, uh, to get all that because um, that's not natural. The way that you, you know, talk on TV, if you were with me in the studio, it's, you're actually talking so much louder than you normally would in order just to make it sound natural on TV. So it took some time, but, you know, I think like anything, it's, again, like playing a sport, you, you get to a certain point where you're like, boom, it, it clicks and you're sort of off to the races from there. You know, at a certain moment, I kind of got it. And, you know, I, it, the more you do it, the more you're on TV, I think the better, the better you get at it, the more natural it is. I'm going to do a little bit of quick reading here from the Channel 7 page for people who know your work well already. This might be a little bit of a refresher course for some people out there who are just hearing about you and getting to know you for the first time. Maybe this is stuff that they didn't know. But again, this is from the Channel 7 page in, in your bio. In 2017, Charlie uncovered a bid rigging scandal and the mishandling of sexual assault allegations at Niagara County Community College. The reporting led to the resignation of the college's longest serving president and the adoption of new safety measures to protect students. And then, and this was the big one, in 2018, Charlie's year-long investigation of the Catholic diocese, I always have a hard time saying that word, of Buffalo revealed a massive cover-up of sexual abuse allegations by multiple bishops, including current bishop Richard Malone, Charlie developed and protected confidential sources close to the bishop and gained rare access to the secret archives of the Catholic Church. The reporting prompted investigations by the FBI and state attorney general and led to the reform of sexual abuse laws in New York State with the passage of the Child Victims Act. The legislation allowed more than 300 survivors in Western New York to seek justices for crimes committed by priests, coaches, and other authority figures over the last five decades. In 2019, Charlie's continued investigation of the Catholic diocese caught the attention of Pope Francis, who ordered a Vatican investigation into Bishop Malone. One month later, Malone became the first bishop in the 172-year history of the diocese to resign. That's a that's a that's a nice little resume right there, Charlie. Jesus, man. So Columbia University awarded you the silver baton of the Alfred I. Dupont Award, considered the Pulitzer Prize of broadcast reporting. It was the first time a reporter from Western New York ever garnered that honor. How do you feel about something like that? <laughs> that I, was really kind of a surreal experience. I, um, I remember getting the call and just, I really couldn't believe it. Um, you know, my, our news director, Rob Heverling had kind of said, let, let's put in for the DuPont award. Um, and it's kind of like, Sure. Yeah, we'll put it in for it, but you know, the chances of winning something like that probably not great. Um, you know, we're, there's like the Emmy Awards. It's kind of held against you in a way that that you're from Buffalo, and there's this attitude among a lot of big city reporters that oh, well, that's just you know, Buffalo is this kind of small town, uh, you know, upstate thing. And so I thought, well, you know, that's fine. We'll put in awards for it. But um, so t- to find out we won was was really incredible. Um, it also feels kind of strange and a little weird to win an award, you know, when the subject matter is so sort of heartbreaking. Sure. Um, so I, you know, I kept the first people I, I called when, you know, when we win these things is, is our whistleblowers, um, Siobhan O'Connor and Father Richard, who were whistleblowers inside the diocese. And, and then also, some of the survivors of abuse who helped us. And, you know, I thought, well, I, I can kind of hopefully 
you know, this award, I can use this award to show them that what they did was really incredible on a national level, that coming forward like that and helping us report the stories we did. Really, you guys did something here that was not, it was extraordinary. It was not normal that this doesn't just happen every day. This wasn't just a big story for a couple of weeks, like most stories are, and then it just kind of disappears. Um, so that was really, that was really great. I was really, I'm really thankful now um, that we got to go to New York City to accept the award. Um, and it was ended up being right before the coronavirus really shut everything down. So I'm, I'm really thankful that we got to have that moment with my family and my wife and, um, you know, my brothers um, and everyone from Channel 7 was there. And it was great to have that moment from so many people who had helped, you know, along the way and sacrificed so much to have that moment and to have Siobhan and Father Richard there also was really great because then, you know, a couple months later, I thought, you know, if this was awarded now, you know, we would get an email about it or maybe have a virtual thing, but it wouldn't be the same. So that, that was really, that was really an amazing experience. Sure. Now I've done some research on you. I know that you're a man of faith. Okay. And doing these types of investigations in this story on a personal level, as you're uncovering some facts and I'm sure you wish you didn't, of course you do because it's your job. I mean, it's what you do professionally, but in a way, knowing how you were raised and knowing how you are as a person and what you believe in and your faith, it's got to be a little bit heartbreaking for you to, to uncover and learn about a lot of the stuff that, that you did and that you told us the viewers about it. Had to, in some levels at least be heartbreaking for you. Oh yeah. I mean, it was at first it wasn't that big of a deal because I said, look, I was trained in journalism school, keep the personal out of it and do my job. I'm going to do the best I can. Even if it's my own church, I got a job to do and I got to do that job period, you know? Um, but then like, as it went on here, you know, as it went on six months, as it went on a year in the middle of all of this, my own brother um, announced that he's going to become a priest. Um, so that changes things in your personal calculation. And, um, you know, I had, I had two kids in Catholic school at the time. Um, I was living in South Buffalo, which is like probably the most Catholic place in Western New York. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's a priest on every corner practically. Yeah. Um, and as it went on, it just got, it really did get tough. And there were, there were times when I thought I really don't, want to go to church this week we kept going because i didn't want i wanted to set an example for my kids that we're not going to walk away from this because this is our religion and these guys have perverted it in such a way that is not right so why should we be the ones to to leave um i did actually you know seek guidance from a lot of a, a couple, you know, good priests. The brother Bill Gallagher was a, a huge influence on me. He's um, rest in peace. He he died last year, um, but he was huge help to me and actually had encouraged me. He kept saying, "Keep going, keep digging. This is stuff that should have come out years ago." The bishops are so guilty. They've got you know they they've got blood on their hands here. Um, and as we went on, it was surprising to me because I kind of figured that, you know, Catholics would get defensive about this. 
I figured they'd be like, hey, what are you attacking the church for? You do some of the great things. Yeah, it's a couple of bad apples. Um, and then it became, it's not a couple of bad apples. There's almost 200 priests on that list right now. Um, and I thought, well, you know, they're going to still blame me in a way. But the opposite actually happened. I would say probably 95% of the feedback that we got from Catholics was positive. Um, and it was stunning to me. And they were, they were so disgusted at their own the leadership in the, in the church. Because most Catholics are, you know, they're great people. It's like any religion. They're people of faith. They were raised with their religion. It's very important and personal to them. And they were sick of every day picking up the paper or going on TV and, and, and seeing their religion, you know, dragged through the mud by these men that had, had done such awful things that they wanted it to be exposed. Because I think deep down, you know, as if you're an adult, you kind of realize, hey, things need to come out before they can can really get better. Um, so people were, I think, thankful for that. Um, I always tried to do the reporting in a, not in a salacious way, because this is a sensational story on its own. There's no need to make it more sensational. It's the abuse of children. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that, right? And um, so we tried to stay away from those cliches. You know, we didn't have any stories where the the story starts off, you know, with the ringing of the church bells and that kind of cliched thing about, um, you know, loss of faith. We tried to really focus on the facts and um, kind of let people decide. I think we've seen with the Child Victims Act that there's not, even though the problem is much worse in the Catholic Church, there, it's not just a Catholic problem. There are other religions and organizations that have... Um, you know a problem like this but it was it was something that really had been 50 years in the making and so i think that was why it was so intense that it came out you know in this really short period here of you know one to two years 50 years of secrets uh kept spilling out yeah now when you do what you do and you investigate and expose wrongdoings it's going to lead to cycles, frankly, here and there coming out of the woodwork. And in one case earlier this year, you actually had your life threatened. I don't even know the right way to ask you this, but you know, in your life, again, you get, you basically got a, a death threat. I mean, how do you handle something like that? I, I just, I can't imagine. Yeah. So it was, so the criminal case with that is still ongoing. Sure. So the U S attorney has asked that I not, talk about the case at all, mm -hmm. but I can talk about things that have already been made uh, public uh, in the news and stuff about this. And it, it really was, it was scary. I mean, it was really tough. I have, you know, I have three small children and my wife, you know, um, and this isn't like, oh, somebody um, did something once. And this was a, this was a campaign of um, harassment here mm -hmm. that had happened over the course of eight months. I kept getting uh, voicemails uh, threatening me. They, they weren't, um, at first, they weren't direct threats. Um, they were sort of menacing, talking about my brother. Oh, we know your brother's becoming a priest. We're going to ruin his career if you don't stop doing this. And you better stop your reporting and um, you know, stop going after the bishop. Um, I had people come and leave 
things on my front door, which was just, you know, it, it drove my wife crazy. Um, it was a little, it was, you know, it, it was scary. I, um, you know, in this job, you do get people who are emotional when their jobs are threatened or things like that. You know, I have had people sort of, they try to go after the messenger. And so I, I'm somewhat used to that. You've got to have a thick skin in this business. I mean, it's yeah, it's not unlike being, you know, an athlete where, you know, yeah, you're going to have critics all the time. You've got to have a thick skin in this business. But when it gets to the point where, okay, you know, you're actually having someone call and say, I'm going to find you and kill you. Law enforcement jumped into action. I cannot say enough about, you know, police department and the um, FBI stepped up, took the threat seriously. And man, when, when the FBI starts looking into things, things happen quickly within a couple of days, they had, they had arrested the suspect and, you know, had him in custody. It was, it was definitely a relief to my family to know that, you know, this was being handled and, and taken seriously because I think we live in a, in an age now when, you know, I talked to some some um, police lieutenants about this, and they said this happens more than you think with with media. And there's a lot of rhetoric out there about you know the kind of anti media thing, you know, sentiment um, going all the way up to you know president. And it's something that you just can't brush off anymore. That you have to take seriously. My kind of instinct was to just downplay it. But as it got worse and worse, it was something that just, you know, for the, for the sake of my, my family in here, you know, I just couldn't ignore anymore. So that's tough. I think that um, things like that, you know, luckily it's only happened once here with something that severe, but it was definitely, it was definitely nerve wracking. But the thing that, I mean, all sort of intimidation, right, is aimed at getting you to stop, stop the reporting, right? So I was like, well, no, I'm not going to stop because then they win again. You know, they, they, they win. That's what they want. So we just kept, we just kept reporting and, and I tried to, you know, just keep forging ahead and, um, you know, and, and things, thanks, thanks to law enforcement things that, you know, are working out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit here. I've asked this question to a few other local news media people who are born and raised in Western New York. Do you feel like in some ways, at least that growing up in the town that ultimately you cover for a living, the news, that maybe it's a little bit advantageous to be from the area that you're covering it because you know the community and the region like the back of your hand. Do you think that matters at all? Is it a little bit of a hometown advantage to be born and raised and work for a place like Channel 7? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think um, I think that it's I don't think I would be as, as good of a reporter and you know, just drop me down in any, any city in the United States. And because it takes time to develop sources, it takes time to learn about a community. I'm not saying that you can't be from somewhere else and learn that quickly here, depending on how, um, I, you know, how good I mean, look at Madison, look at Ed Dranch, look at these other reporters. Actually, I mean, they have soaked things up to the point where this is their home now and, and you would not know that they're not from here. Right. But I do think, you know, just knowing the the history of the place really does help. I mean, there's, you know what a small town Buffalo is and I can't tell you how many times I'd be working on a story and be like, you know, isn't so-and-so's cousin a fireman 
in this city and we're doing a story about this you know so i'll i'll give him a call or i met this person at a picnic once and isn't he so-and-so's cousin and you know so there's all those connections and that's how you make sources i mean you put yourself out there and you get people to trust you um and you you know you like i always tell journalism students first of all be a good person you want to be a good journalist get that way people will trust you and then you know when it comes time that you actually need to you know find something out or they need a lot of times they bring something to us um it's someone that they can trust is going to be you know handled in the right way so i definitely think those those connections you know those family connections do do definitely help um they come in handy I mean, for this story that i've been doing being a catholic being an altar boy i mean that was huge because i could relate to people um and i knew where the where all these churches were um you know St. Agatha's Church, I knew what street that's on, and you know, St. Christopher's, I knew what neighborhood that was in. So having all that stuff is something that would take me years to learn that, but I think just growing up in Western New York, it definitely helps to have that background. Yeah, for sure. And I'll tell you, a lot of people, I don't care if it's news, sports, whatever, in, in your line of business, are often well-traveled before they ultimately find success. And in some ways, you've been fortunate. I mean, you were born and raised in Western New York, went to college in Olean. And you've carved out your career almost entirely in Western New York. So to me, that's kind of rare to be as accomplished as you are without having to bounce around the country, or at least a region for sure. That's pretty cool. So you've been in Buffalo, like I said, pretty much your entire life. What is it about Buffalo that you love the most? Like if somebody was going to ask you, say, hey, hey, Charlie, I'm thinking about moving to Buffalo. You know, I've heard some things here and there, but sell me on it a little bit. Like, why should I want to move and raise my family and go to Buffalo? Well, you know, what I love about it is, you know, it is a great place to raise a family, you know, and even if you don't have kids, it's a great place just to live because, you know, you have the attractions and the amenities and whether it's cultural things, sports, you have all the the big parts of what make big cities great um, because Buffalo used to be a very big city. Mm-hmm. Um, so that those are still here, but you have, you know, the quality of life and you know, the cost of living. I mean, I think I bought a house within a year or two of, of getting my first job, which is like unheard of in a lot of cities. Um, you know, my mortgage payment was, you know, gee, we, we rented a, we lived in a double, we rented half of it out and paid um, less in mortgage. And some of my um, friends were paying in, you know, utilities living in New York City or uh, somewhere else. So I think you can, you can do a lot. You can have sort of big dreams because um, you're not just taking, you know, so much of your paycheck and throwing it to a landlord or, or something like that. I also think that Buffalo is a very welcoming place. Um, we've seen over the last couple months that it could be more welcoming, especially, you know, with racial issues and stuff. But I do think there is a great pride and a great kind of spirit. And I do think that as much as sports teams do not generate economic activity in the ways that, you know, the sports owners um, like to say what they do as far as the fabric of a community, I think probably can't be overstated. It's, it's that identity and Buffalo, you know, let's be honest, is an underdog city. It's something that if you live here, you want to live here, you know, you didn't just come to this city because of a Fortune 500 company or 
you know, because it has, um, you know, it's on the coast or something. I mean, you, you live here, you, you kind of, you have a story. You, you want to live here. You came here for some reason or your family came here for some reason. My family, um, I looked at my, at my great grandpa's uh, immigration stuff, came over in 1901 when it was still Boomtown, served as a policeman at the Pan American Exposition. Um, and our family history here is that he helped arrest the guy who assassinated President McKinley. Um, oh, wow. Now that part, the last part, it may be more legend than truth because I haven't been able to verify it with documents. <laughs> but yeah, we, we've been here a while. And I think that I'm just happy that my parents ended up staying here when all of their friends were leaving, you know, when they, when, the, when the bottom was falling out in the, in the, in the 70s and 80s, um, because I think we've seen a great, you know, resurgence here. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's good to, you know, even when I, when I graduated and started at the news, I remember, you know, when I walk out of the Buffalo news in the middle of the day, it was dead. I mean, the, the waterfront was a joke, you know, it was like a, a heap of, you know, grass and metal and garbage and it was nothing. And, and just five years later, you know, to see what, what happened down there. And I know all the politicians love to take credit for it. I mean, um, but really it was the people getting together and, and pushing, you know, their leaders to do something smart down there instead of trying to, um, you know, bring in these mega retailers and stuff to, um, to put a parking lot on the waterfront. Um, and I think it, it's, it's that those changes that have happened in the last five, 10 years that I think are going to make life here so much greater, you know, for my kids, that it's not like, oh, we're going to live here and we're going to have to move somewhere else. No, there's actually opportunity here. This is a decent place to live and you can actually see it here. Yeah, no question about it. All right. So last question. And then we're going to end with the fun fact finale. One of the many things that I personally miss most about Buffalo and a reason why I look forward to moving back home at some point in the pretty near future anyway, is that I'm a huge chicken wings guy, man. Uh, Maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent pizza because down here in Florida, you can get serviceable pizza. Okay. I'll, I'll just say that serviceable pizza. It's okay, but the wings are terrible. They suck. And there's nothing like chicken wings in Buffalo. But anyway, I wanted to ask you, what are a few of your favorite spots to go to, whether it's for wings or for pizza? Now you're in South Buffalo. So I don't know if you're going to say Imperial is one of them, but everybody in South Buffalo either loves Imperial or they hate it. That's like one of those places where there's no in between. It's either the best thing ever or the most overrated thing ever. But anyway, what are a couple of like your go-to spots, you and your wife, whatever, if you want to go out for some wings or for some pizza, whatever. Yeah. So we, um, I do like Imperial's barbecue wings, but I'm not a huge sweet sauce guy. I, 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 I've always been an avid pizza guy. Um, but I mean, but Imperial is a great, is a great place. Uh, I'd say as far as wings go, I'm a big barbell guy. Um, Got to go with the bar bill. And then as far as the um, Duff's Anchor Bar debate, I'm Anchor Bar all the way. The Duff's is too hot for me, um, and it's, they're too wet. I like my wings extra crispy. Um, and then, you know, an underrated thing, it's gotten some publicity in, in South Buffalo, is um, 9-11 Tavern. Oh, yeah. I mean, just phenomenal um, wings, uh, you know. Not the the uh, cleanest place or you know the glitziest <laughs> place in the world, but you know if you want to go to a 
place where you know you get some wings that you're not going to get in any town in the USA. You know, it's it's those you know those kind of dive bars uh, that I think offer up some of the best. Absolutely, uh, and I, I'll tell you what, Charlie. Too, I've done one of my biggest things I've done since moving is chicken wing rankings and reviews. Every time I go back to Buffalo, which is at least a couple times a year, I literally go every day to a place, get some wings, I'll write up a little review, and then I power rank them like they're an NFL franchise or something like that. <laughs> and it's kind of sad because people will actually ask me more, put more stock into that than my sports stakes. And considering I mainly talk sports, that's not a good thing. But anyway, 911 <laughs> Tavern is literally number one on my list. They're my favorite wow. wings in Western New York. Barbell's like around third or fourth. They're in like my Mount Rushmore. But 911 yeah. is number one to me. You're right, though. Everything about that place sucks until the food comes out. <laughs> From walking in there, if it's even going to be open, how long the wait's going to be, the service isn't great. God forbid you got to go to the bathroom. God forbid you got to go to the yeah. God forbid you got to go to the bathroom in that place. Right? So everything about it is terrible until the wings come out, and then there's just no wings that are better than theirs. They're just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so true. We we uh we run a bowling league. And uh, we go there after every every uh, every time, and uh, you know, some sometimes you felt like they're um, not very happy to see you, or right? Something, but <laughs> you have to kind of fight for the wings. Yes, like, yes. It's like, what do you, you know, want? Maybe from... that's why they taste so good. Because, but Mark, the guy who owns it, he's he's always been great. He's uh, you know, he's just back there cooking, doing it himself, and uh, whatever he does, whatever the recipe is, you can't beat it. Yeah, it's awesome. And on the other end with pizza, and then we'll get to this fun fact finale, I'm going to refer to your colleague, Ashley Rowe, who won my heart over. I know you're in South Buffalo, but if you're on the west side, Mr. Pizza on Elman Avenue and Bird is the spot to be for pizza. That's Ashley's spot, too. I told her she's the first person, the only person that I've ever talked to about pizza and wings who said that. And as soon as she said that, it was like my heart melted. I was like, thank you, Ashley. You get it. But anyway, so next time you're on the west side, go to that place. But anyway, all right, let's finish fun fact finale here. All I'm going to do is ask you some random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops off in your mind, that'll be your answer. This is how I end every interview. You good? You ready? All right, let's do it. All right, favorite all-time athlete? Got to be, uh, got to be Larry Bird. Bruce Smith is a close second on that one. Okay. What's your favorite city that you've ever visited? Whether it was for a work assignment, a vacation, whatever it may be. Um, favorite city. Uh, I'm going to say DC. I loved lived there for a couple months. Just if it's not Buffalo, I, I love being in DC. Okay, who was your first celebrity crush that you can remember? Oh, uh, let's see here. Oh, my wife always teases me. Rachel McAdams. Yeah, it, I always seem to to like movies that she's in. Very underrated journalism movie um, called State of Play that she was in. She was kind of a young cub reporter, um, and obviously she's a star now. But um, yeah, I'm a Rachel McAdams fan. Okay, what is your like go-to snack late at night? Can't sleep or whatever. You get up in the middle of the night or something. You're just in a really snacky mood. Like, what's your go-to snack? Uh, tortilla chips. I'm kind of a tortilla chips addict. Got to be tortilla chips. Um, Occasionally, I'll grab a hot pocket. I know they're not the most nutritious uh, things. Uh, maybe some Tyson uh, Tyson frozen chicken can't beat that. Okay, uh, what do we got here next? What movie have you probably rewatched more than any other one? Oh, um, definitely Back to the Future. Huge. I've been sort of obsessed with Back to the Future since I was since I was a kid. Really, 
it's either Back to the Future or uh, uh, All the President's Men. Okay. Call yourself out a little bit here. What is your worst habit? Okay. So let me think here. So being an investigative reporter, sometimes you go down like rabbit holes where you just kind of like, you know, digging on something and you lose all sight of, you know, time and space. And you're just kind of like researching the heck out of something. And, you know, hours later you fight, "Ah, I got the answer. And it's like, why was that important? You know, Um, you know, our boss is like, so what? Um, (laughs) So I I do do sometimes get, um, you know, getting to the bottom of something, um, you know, you can kind of lose uh, sight of that and it will help uh, get back on track. Okay. Uh, Let's see here. Name a TV game show that you feel like if you were on it, you could potentially dominate, whether it's something that's current or past, but a game show that you think you could be good at. So I've always been a huge Jeopardy fan, um, but it really depends on the categories. Huge history geek, when it, American history. I'm very people make fun of me. I'm very patriotic, and but I'm not great with world history. Um, it really, and if it, you know, if it's American history or you know any sort of sports related thing, uh, I, I could, I think I could, uh, could maybe run the table on that. Okay. So right now we're doing this interview remotely, obviously. I'm 1,300 miles away from you and we're using software to communicate right now. But let's just say I was in Buffalo and let's pretend this pandemic wasn't a thing, which we all wish was the case. And you and I are chopping it up at a uh, karaoke bar, okay? And Mm -hmm. in this world of ours, Charlie is an incredible singer. And Mm -hmm. I talk to you and we have a couple of drinks. I'm like, Charlie, come on, get your ass up there. Grab the mic. What song are you going to sing that the crowd's going to really get into? It could be a, a fast song, it could be a slow jam, whatever it may be. Something that would be like your signature karaoke song, at least in your own mind anyway. Oh, it's got to be a Bruce Springsteen song. Um, huge, man, it could be any of them. A huge boss fan. Maybe Glory Days. Um, born in the USA. I've always uh, always been a huge, huge Bruce fan. One of Concert when he came to Buffalo, his last concert with the original E Street Band was was the most amazing concert I've ever been to in my life. Just incredible. But yeah, that's that guy got a soft spot for the boss. Glory Days would be a good sing along song that people would definitely rock out to. All right, so let's just say you had never gotten involved in this industry in any fashion, or you went to school and you gave it a run and it just didn't work out. And you had to go do something else with your life. What do you think you may have done with your life to earn a living today? Hmm. So I, I, uh, maybe like a high school teacher and coach. I always wanted growing up, wanted to be, you know, like I, I had a high school English teacher who I, I just loved his class and, you know, thought I could, he was a cool guy. And I, I could see myself doing this someday and, you know, coaching football or whatever. And, um, you know, probably could be, uh, perfectly happy. Maybe I'd have to run the, Okay. Second last question here. So people have known about your accomplishments and through this interview today, they've gotten to know your career and your journey. Let people know who are listening. Tell everyone one fun fact about yourself that not everybody would know. Fun fact. Hmm. This could be a tough question because at this point in the interview, we've talked about a lot of things that 
like I said, that have kind of let viewers in a little bit on your life. But yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, all right. Let me think here. I this is kind of dorky, though. Do I want to say this? Um, <laughs> I won the eighth grade spelling bee. Okay. <laughs> and I got a dictionary out of it. Which really? Is like, which is actually like the worst prize ever. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, if you win the spelling, you don't need a dictionary, right? Right. You people know? who need a dictionary are people who can spell, not the people who already can spell well. <laughs> All right. Last question here, the same one I always ask everybody. So you could have three dinner guests from any era, celebrities, historians, whoever you want at your house tonight for dinner, a couple of drinks, three seats are open. You can fill them with anybody you want. Who are three? And I know I'm putting you on the spot here because you haven't had a chance to think about it, but it is what it is, man. So three dinner guests at your house tonight, anybody, who would it be? And these are people that are like, Anybody alive. you want, anybody you want, dead or alive, any part of history, doesn't matter who it is, celebrity, historian, whoever it may be, whoever you want most at your dinner table in this world for tonight. Okay, I would probably, see, I'm just going to ask a bunch of journalism people, um, which is not exciting. I would ask um, Bob Woodward, Watergate reporter, Washington Post. Um, I would ask um, probably. Michael J. Fox, again, Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe Alexander Hamilton. I, I've been I'm a huge fan of Hamilton, seen it twice, and my kids are like now super into it. My daughters are super into it. Um, and just learning that has been fascinating. I think I, I, I want to sit down with Hamilton. I love that answer too. And I just started watching that for the first time on Disney last week and I've been mesmerized. I've watched it twice now too as well. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you might be the first person who I've asked that to who didn't work in a standard Abraham Lincoln, Oprah, or Muhammad Ali. I always, at least everyone <laughs> names at least one of those three when they do that. So good stuff. All right, everyone, give Charlie a follow on Twitter at Charlie underscore reports. Of course, check out his award-winning work at Channel 7. Dude, thanks so much for doing this, man. This was a lot of fun. It was good to get to know you. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for today's episode. Very big thank you one more time, Charlie Speck, Channel 7 investigative reporter. It's always nice to have a non-sports interview on this podcast. It's something different. Although, to be fair, Charlie probably knows a lot more about sports than most of us, certainly more than myself. But anyway, thank you very much again, Charlie. Guys, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review all that fun stuff. It only takes a couple seconds to do, and it really helps me continue to grow this podcast. Of course, you can catch us on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere award-winning podcasts are found. Also, check us out on YouTube, Talking Buffalo Podcast. I put some highlight clips from current and past episodes up there pretty soon, and I keep saying this, but at some point, it's actually going to come to fruition. I'm going to start having some original content that you'll only find on our YouTube channel. Once again, Talking Buffalo Podcast on YouTube. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets. I am constantly on Twitter, probably there more than I am anywhere else. 
And again, we had that contest going on. You can win a free pizza and 20 wings from Macy's Place Pizzeria if you are a subscriber and if you hit up my Twitter. So do that. Thank you so much for listening. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I know there's like a billion and one podcasts out there nowadays. And if you're locked in on this one, I don't take that lightly. I'm very grateful, very appreciative, very humble for all of you. So thank you very much. And I'll be back with a brand new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.